0: We're going to be focusing on and celebrating the most important events in all of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we're not there yet. Jesus won't be crucified until Friday, and his resurrection on Sunday when we celebrate Easter. That's next week. Today, we remember the beginning we remember the familiar story of Jesus riding on a donkey, his triumphal entry into the city that would just days later reject him and have him crucified. So this day called Palm Sunday is a day of of joy and celebration, but it's also a day of tragedy and sorrow. Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, we're starting on page 825. Let's read God's Word. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice Thank you for speaking to us through the Bible. Thank you for being present and compassionate and just. Help us to think what you want us to think and feel what you want us to feel as we look at Jesus today. Amen. So I want you to imagine with me for a minute. Imagine you're driving home from work, and you see some guy riding a donkey into town right in the middle of the road. What would you think if you saw that? You'd probably question the sanity of the man. It would seem bizarre to you because it's really not what you expected to see on your way home from work. And it doesn't mean anything to you. There's really nothing significant about it. It's just somebody doing something odd. So this donkey-riding Jesus story may seem strange to us, but if we can step into the minds and traditions of the people around Jesus, we find that it's not strange. In fact, it's quite clear. It's clear what Jesus is doing, and it's clear just how big of a statement he's making. So we're going to look at a few of the things that help us make sense of this story, why the destination Jerusalem, and why the mode of transportation, a donkey's colt. And then we're going to turn and look at both the joy and the tragedy of it all. And my goal for us this morning is that you would marvel with me at this Jesus. I want you to see him for who he truly is, and I hope that you'll see him as marvelous and receive him with joy. First, we'll address the city. Verse 28 says, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So, why does it matter that Jesus was going to Jerusalem? First, you need to know that Jerusalem was no ordinary city, it was the most significant city in the Jewish world. The name Jerusalem means city of peace, but it also was called the city of David. Now Bethlehem was also called the city of David, but that's because that's where Bethlehem was or where David was born. Jerusalem is called the city of David because it's the city that David made the capital of Israel. David built his palace there, his son Solomon built the temple, and it became the center of economic and political life. But also the center of its religious life. We don't have something like this in America. This would be like taking Washington, Washington, D.C. and New York City, combining them into one city, and then adding a religious center that everyone in the country would come to and make their, their pilgrimages to. That's how important this city, Jerusalem, is. But not only was Jerusalem the geographical center of Jewish life, it was also Passover week. This was the most significant week in the Jewish calendar. This is one of those holidays that you get the whole family together to celebrate. And people from all over would be making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, where the temple was. So this city was just swelled with people. This is like going to lake town in Minnesota in the summer. During the the rest of the year, uh, the there's a normal amount of of people. But then during the summer, all the people flock to the lakes. think that, but much, much bigger. So Jerusalem was swelled with people, so anything that happened during this week would be the most public of all events. If something happened in Jerusalem during the Passover, it was public knowledge, and that knowledge would be far-reaching. Now, Jesus had been to Jerusalem before, probably many times. So, why is it significant this time? Well, Jesus had been making this journey for quite some time, beginning in chapter 9, where it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face, he had resolved to go, and there was nothing that was going to stop him from going. The rest of his earthly ministry would be a ministry with Jerusalem in the forefront of his mind. It's the destination that this is all leading to. Now, Here's what Jerusalem meant for Jesus. Luke 12, 33. I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Luke 18, 31 and 32. Jesus' followers were not very clear about why they were going to Jerusalem, but for Jesus, it was crystal clear. When Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, he set his face to suffer and to die. And unlike other times he went to Jerusalem, by now Jesus' ministry has become a lot more public. He had had multiple confrontations with the religious leaders, and by his miracles and teachings, He had developed quite a following. And Jesus knew that his message and purpose were provocative. Jesus is the guy that you either love or you hate, and he knew it. He knew that this time the heat would be turned up, and this would be the last time. And so Jesus is going to make his entrance into this great city, but he chooses a strange mode of transportation. Verse 29 through 35. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So why a donkey's colt? It's not that Jesus preferred donkeys and... uh, not the only animal that was available. Jesus was making a much bigger statement than we would naturally think. In his gospel, Matthew wrote this about the donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This comes from Zechariah 9.9. Which reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy is about a king who would come to Jerusalem to bring peace. And one way that that peace is displayed is that the king would be riding on a colt, a young donkey. The donkey would be a symbol of peace. A war horse is for war. A donkey is for peace. And you need to know that there were a lot of people around Jesus that knew the scriptures. They would have books memorized, and they would just be just waiting in anticipation for any sign of hope a lot of the people absolutely would have known to be looking for this king from Zechariah 9:9 9, 9. so Jesus and his disciples went out of their way to make sure that when Jesus entered Jerusalem that he would be riding a donkey and Jesus knew exactly what he would be communicating and when the people saw Jesus coming over the hill riding a donkey on his way to Jerusalem, they would make that connection and think, here he is, our king is coming to us. Now let's read about the joy of the crowd, how they responded to all of this. Verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, The very stones would cry out. In verse 37, it says, The whole multitude, that's the crowd, the whole multitude of his disciples. When we hear the word disciples, we often think of the twelve, Jesus' inner group of followers. But remember that Jesus had a long ministry, and he had been on this journey to Jerusalem for quite some time. And on his way, he would perform miracles and give teachings. And when Jesus entered these people's lives, they couldn't help but to stay close to him. Also, a lot of these people would have been going to Jerusalem anyway for the Passover. So they probably thought, why not travel with Jesus? So Jesus had gathered a following, a large crowd moving toward Jerusalem with him. That's this crowd, the whole multitude of his disciples. It says that they began to rejoice and praise God and that they were praising God for the mighty works that they had seen. They rejoiced. They were were full of joy. They had witnessed Jesus perform many miracles and they knew that he was something special. He was from God. So they were excited And they couldn't help but respond with praise. But the most significant part of this event is the crowd's words. It says that the crowd praised by saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is very significant. Uh, This is from a psalm, Psalm 118. This is part of a group of psalms, 113 to 118, called the praise psalms, or sometimes called Egyptian praise psalms. And sometimes the word Egyptian is added because some of the words and themes of these psalms are associated with Passover, with themes of deliverance and what God did in delivering the nation of Israel from from Egypt in the Exodus. So these songs would often be sung leading up to and during the Passover, and that's what all these people are in Jerusalem for. So it makes sense that that this psalm would be on their minds. The quote from Psalm 118 comes from verse 26, which reads, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Do you notice a difference between Psalm 118 verse 26 and what the crowd said in Luke? The crowds added the title king. Before this event, before Jesus would walk the earth, the people had a category in their minds for a coming king because going back hundreds of years, echoing through the Hebrew scriptures, there was a promise about a king who would come. And not just any king, but it would be a king from the lineage of David. Back in Second Samuel, God made a promise to David that one day he will raise up from David's offspring a king that would reign forever. He will be the true and forever king. And so after David, his son Solomon, was king, Many people thought that Solomon was this son of David that God promised. They thought that he was the guy because he seemed to be great. He was a son of David, and the the kingdom flourished under his reign. But just for a while, against the instruction of the Lord, Solomon acquired riches, tons of gold and silver and horses, and he acquired many wives. He turned away from the Lord and turned to other gods. So clearly Solomon is not the guy. He's not the promised king. So we have to look to the next king and the next king and the next king. And one king after another, some are good, most of them are bad, but none of them fit the bill and none of them will last forever. So these people are waiting. Where is this promised king? Where is this guy that that God promised to us? And is he ever going to come? And at the end of the Old Testament, Israel is still waiting, still looking for this king, waiting for this king to be born in the lineage of David. And then in Luke chapter 1, The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. These are the things that are going on in these people's minds. They're thinking, Jesus is the king that we have all been waiting for. I've seen his miracles. I've witnessed his teaching. He's going to establish his kingdom. And, and just like he delivered our ancestors from Egypt, he's going to deliver us from the Romans. And so they're crying out with song of praise, with excitement and and joy, laying their coats on the road in submission to the king. It's an event full of joy. But it wasn't joyful for everyone in the crowd. Verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So the Pharisees might have been upset or offended by the claims that the crowd was making, outraged at the honor given to Jesus and the crowd receiving him as if he were worthy of it. But they're also probably really scared. They knew that Jesus' claims were provocative and that people either love him or they hate him. The crowd's getting too big and they knew that if there was any kind of an uproar that the Roman soldiers would do something about it. So for whatever reason, the Pharisees wanted to shut them up and they knew that Jesus was the only one that could do it. So they told Jesus to rebuke them. But Jesus wasn't having it. He responded with his own rebuke. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Screaming stones? What is he saying? Well, there's more to this than praise. This is more than Jesus saying, if the crowds don't praise me, then the rocks are going to praise me. In fact, Jesus uses language that parallels a prophecy from Habakkuk chapter 2. And in this prophecy, We have a statement of judgment on the Chaldeans or the Babylonians and a prediction of their eventual destruction. The Chaldeans were wicked and they prospered as a nation at the expense of other nations. So Habakkuk is giving a message of judgment against them. In verse 11 it says, For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Then in verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The stones and wood that made up their houses were symbols of their wickedness. They were evidence for their sin. Their possessions and prosperity were testimonies to their guilt, and they were deafening. And eventually, just as they had plundered other nations, they themselves would be plundered. When we sin, we can try to distract ourselves from what we've done. We can try to cover up the evidence. But we can never get rid of the guilt. If you take something that doesn't belong to you, your possession of that thing ends up becoming burdensome. And it's constant proof that it was taken wrongly. Text and social media message history, they never go away. They have the power to scream out your guilt. The things that we build with our sin cry out that we are guilty. And Jesus parallels that language. Just as the stones in the past cried out the guilt of the Chaldeans, so the stones will cry out against you. And that brings us right to the last section. The crowds would become silent. The praise wouldn't continue into Monday. They are guilty and judgment is coming. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, We just read about the crowds in their joy, but now this story is culminating in Jesus' weeping. For Jesus to look at Jerusalem and weep, you would think that he'd be weeping for himself, knowing what he was about to endure. But he was weeping for the people. He's concerned for them. He cares for them. Jesus knew that the excitement of the crowds did not correspond to a genuine reception. He knew that though he was greeted with joy, Jerusalem just days later would reject him. He says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. How little did the city of peace live up to its name. Peace has arrived, and the city whose very name means peace failed to recognize it. They failed to grasp that the peace that they need was peace with God. They needed to be reconciled with God, and the source of their reconciliation was in their midst, and they would reject him. And in judgment, the result for those who would reject him would not be peace, the war. Jesus goes on to predict the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen just 40 years later in 70 AD. Enemies would come and besiege the city, and the city would be leveled to the ground. Jerusalem would be judged because they did not know the time of its visitation. They failed to receive Jesus as king, and by rejecting him, They would bring judgment upon themselves. Now I want to go back to Psalm 118. Uh, Turn with me there. That's page 479 in the Pew Bibles. Psalm 118. We read the part that the crowds quoted in their praise of Jesus, that was verse 26. But I want to go back and read some of the verses leading up to verse 26. Psalm 118, 22 through 26. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. It's this psalm that captures the beauty of this day. Throughout this psalm, if you go back and read the whole thing, you see that this one that God exalts has endured distress and rejection and opposition. But then come the beautiful verses of 22 to 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is why at the beginning, I said I want you to see Jesus as marvelous. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Look at his resolve to go to Jerusalem Look at his sorrow for Jerusalem, his compassion for Jerusalem. Look at his choosing to continue, knowing that the builders there that are trying to build up their own kingdom would reject him. This psalm says that it's the rejected one who is exalted. It's the humble, donkey-riding Jesus who came to be the stone that the builders would reject on Friday. But little did they know that their rejection of him on Friday would give way to God exalting Jesus as the cornerstone on Sunday. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I really hope that you see Jesus as marvelous and that you would receive him with joy. I said at the beginning, this is a day of of joy and celebration but it's also a day of tragedy and sorrow. And it is this way because this is what happens when Jesus enters anyone's life. When we come to know Jesus for who he truly is, as our king, who gave his life for his people, who took the punishment for our sin, who set his face to suffer judgment that we all deserve, it's impossible to be neutral towards him. When you come to know Jesus for who he is, what he claimed to be, and what he did, it is impossible to respond with indifference. You can either receive King Jesus with joy and celebration, or you can reject him, possibly with indignation. The proclamation of the gospel says that Jesus is the king. And he's not like the kings of this world. He is worthy. He is a good king. And we all, every single one of us, are guilty of treason. We can either continue in our rebellion and face his judgment like Jerusalem, or we can repent, turning from our sin and submitting to his kingship. And built into this command to repent is the assurance of our complete forgiveness. Even if you are drowning in shame, even if you're weighed down with guilt and your life and everything in it is crying out judgment on you, if you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus in faith and trusting your life to King Jesus, He will erase all of your guilt, every single bit. And that is marvelous. Bow to Jesus, receive him with joy. Pray with me.